what is going on welcome back to throwback reviews podcast joined by my buddy rob o'hara what's going on buddy what's up everybody did you ever listen to those um uh crazy frog songs crazy frog yeah it was no. like um it was like remixes of songs uh but then it just had a frog singing uh and i was unfortunately exposed to these at the local skating rink when i would take my kids but they had axel f i, ha- I have the song somewhere i'll send it to you it's um but it's axel f but with a frog just making frog sounds and it's very- I like our version much better. Our version like puts me in the retro mood. The minute I hear that theme song, I'm like, all of a sudden I'm in seventh grade, ready to start break dancing. Yeah, no, I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah, please hook me up with that. Sounds very, uh, very interesting. I don't want to switch to that. I want to keep this theme. <laughs> so, uh, so today's episode, or this week's episode, or this month's episode, is uh, we are going to talk about movies. We each brought five movies. Um, 70s, 80s, it didn't matter that basically, and I think we had some miswording and when we promoted the podcast or this episode, but it's movies that we appreciate more now as adults uh, than we did when we were kids, when we watched them, whether it be 70s or 80s. So th- it could be movies that we had seen, it could be movies that we that we had never seen before, not necessarily uh, movies that we didn't like, though that could be the case if it was something that we didn't like as a kid and now we like it. So that's kind of the, uh, the basis for this week's episode. Yeah, I think, I, I think all those are really uh, different versions of the same idea. I mean, whether, you know, it's that you like it more now or appreciate it in some way uh, more than you did as a kid, which could mean that you never saw it could mean uh, that you saw it, but didn't maybe fully understand it. Or maybe you, you, for some reason, uh, didn't see it or in I think in at least one of mine like I uh, actually avoided hmm well I can't wait to uh, discover which one that is <laughs> um, so before we get started with that let's just get a real quick update as to the uh, last episode we talked about the the movie house basically you're putting in your backyard mm-hmm. uh, give us an update are we finished with that are we near completion what's the uh, what's the status Sean. What a mess. What a mess. You know, I've never uh, had anything built where I had to work with a contractor. And the contractor doesn't actually do the work. He outsources all the work. So I'm talking to a guy and he's talking to other guys. And those guys haven't done some of the work up to uh, the quality that he was expecting or I was expecting. So we have a, a problem right now with the some of the the wood on the outside of the building is is warped. It's all wavy and weird looking. I told my wife it looked like a pack of uncooked ramen noodles on one side of the building. So they uh, have actually been here today pulling all the wood off and redoing it. So we, we moved forward. We got the electrical uh, inspection completed. So that part's good, but I don't know. It just seems like uh, you know, they move forward in one section, they move back. It's very frustrating when you're not the guy in control and you're depending on somebody else to do stuff. Like, I feel like, uh, I, I don't, don't take this the wrong way. I don't have the the skill set required to build a, a building like, like what they're doing in the backyard. But, uh, if I did, I feel like, man, you could just do like, you could knock it out in three or four weeks. Like if you just every day went out there and worked on something, but they don't, they don't work that way. They just juggle jobs, you know, and they do a little bit 
here and then they wait a few days and then they might come back. It might be a week. So it's very frustrating to be on the outside of the process. Uh, I've been told that the new ETA is the end of February. So uh, we just have to wait and see at this point. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think sometimes these guys, they take on a little bit more than they can, than they can handle, or they just, you know what I mean? They, they got their hand in so many pots, so many different jobs. They go on these estimates, they get the job. Okay. Yeah, we can do it now. They'll tell you, you know, what you want to hear as far as like the completion of a job or something like that. And, you know, I, I know we talked earlier, you, you don't want to really, you don't want to rock the boat too much when somebody's working <laughs> on your house or something to do with your home. You kind of, you kind of have to, to, to wade that out a little bit until they're done. Then you can kind of give them a little what you were thinking. You know, the, the payment structure that was set up was we paid like 50% before they broke ground. Like we paid half up front and then there've been payments along the way. So we've probably paid for 80% of the project. And so that's why uh, I think in, in, I'm not always great at conflict and what I tend to do is put up with stuff longer than other people. And then I explode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm trying my artist not to do that because I know that if I tell this guy what I'm thinking, you know, at a certain point, I, you know, I, I mean, this is a, I don't know. There's just certain parts of the, of the project where, uh, I just find myself, you know, like some of the requests he's made, I, I'll give you a, a, a fairly benign example is, uh, every time that the workers are coming, the contractor texts me and says, Hey, can you move your cars around so that they can park right up to the, uh, next to the building? Now, I mean, this is a fairly harmless request, but it gets old. And yeah. my driveway, the way it's, it's uh, set up is at the very end of my driveway is three cars wide, but then the driveway all the way leading from the street up to my driveway is two cars wide. And we have four cars uh, that we, Susan, mine, and, and Mason, and I still have my truck. So we have four cars. So when he texts me early in the morning and says, hey, the electrician's coming, uh, can you guys move your cars? It's like, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's a five or 10 minute thing, but you have to find everybody's keys and move the cars around and this and that. And And on days where I'm working from home, if I have to go, you know, I go to lunch or something. I'm like, well, why do I got to walk out of here to my car? <laughs> what is the electrician? He gets his car up here close to the are building. They, are you they know? tearing up your, your yard too by driving all oh, over? Oh, the yard's destroyed. Yeah. yeah back, see. Back part of the yard and the, the driveway. This is another thing I noticed today is that one of the guys that comes over and does work just leaks oil everywhere. I thought it was Mason's truck, but it's not. I, I saw the guy today. He was idling in the driveway. And when he pulled out, it was like, you could see fresh oil. I mean, it was, it was liquid oil right there. Nobody's been there all day. So um, I, I, don't, I <laughs> man, I could talk for an hour about frustrations, but there are certain things that I, I don't think that they fix when they leave. Like, I don't think he's going to come clean my driveway, clean all the oil. I don't think he's going to clean the ruts in my backyard. I think that's just stuff that when they're done, they say, well, that's, that's on you to fix. And that, gets frustrating you know like um i don't know like i think if i had a business like this at the end of the day when i left it i would want it in a thing where there was nothing for the customer to complain about and i don't get the feeling that's going to be the situation yeah i agree that's that's the way it should be and that's how that's how a good 
contractor or someone that, uh, you know, a small business, that's usually how they will kind of run their practice because yeah, I mean, and and I told you, I had kind of went through the same thing with, uh, when I moved into this house with an electrician, I mean, he just left crap everywhere when he was opening boxes to, to put the panel in and then cutting wires and stripping them and then pulling old wires out. And then he basically told me like, yeah, I don't do cleanup. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's like at that point you want to just, you know, you want the job done. You don't want to, you know, like we said, you don't want to irritate them, which is just baffles me that we even have to say that. Like you don't want to rock the boat because you know, like then the person will be like, okay, screw you. Yeah. I'll do a crappy job. Right. And that's not the way it should be. Yeah. What happened to like the customer, you know, take care of the customer and, and, and all that stuff. So yeah, they, they should take care of the ruts in your yard. That, that'd be absolutely ridiculous if, if they don't. That's mm-hmm. kind of the thing, you know. I mean, you have that done. I, I, I paid a buddy, and it's what he does all the time. He does, like, finishing work, drywalling and everything. And he did some work in my old house. And, I mean, he was immaculate. And it's not just me because I know people that he's worked for, and they're all like, Paul's amazing. He's clean. He cleans everything up. There's nothing to complain about. So... I uh, complained one time to the contractor that these guys, the guys that are coming doing the work were leaving trash everywhere. And it wasn't just like construction related trash. It's like uh, they're fast food wrappers and their cups and their plastic bottles. They just throw it on the ground. And I mentioned it to the guy and he said, oh, well, they come in and they clean all that up when they're done, you know. But the reality is, is that we met with this guy and made the first payment last August. So you're not going to have fast food wrappers land in your backyard for six months. You know, you're, you're the one that gets to pick it up. And what's even worse is, I mean, this is towards the, the, I mean, it's at the end of my driveway. I don't have a fence there yet. So uh, all this trash blows over into my neighbor's yard. So I have to go over and clean up my neighbor's yard (laughs) to get the trash that these guys are leaving. And uh, I, I told you this story. I, we hadn't really planned to talk about this, but um the construction workers, the guys, the first guys that came over that were doing all the dirt work and, and putting the original framework up, uh, had a like a gallon bucket like that you would buy bleach or vinegar or something in, you know, and we're using it to to pee in. <laughs> and hey, at least uh, it wasn't your C three PO cup. That's, that's, well, they don't they don't go number one in three PO. They go number two. <laughs> that's what three PO is for. Uh, but. So then at one point they were like combining all the trash into one big pile, you know? And so they did. And then there's this, this giant jug. And I mean, I could get pretty gross about it, but I mean, it it started yellow and then it was kind of Brown and, and like, I don't want to touch it, you know, like, I don't want to put it in my trash can. I don't want to pick it up. And, you know, I asked him at one point kind of hinting like, Hey, what's the deal with all this trash? And he says, Oh, we're going to bring a trailer and we're going to put all the trash in. So, the end of the story is now there's a trailer in my yard and all the trash has been moved to the trailer. So I still have now. I mean, I wanted rid of the trash. Now I still have the trash and a trailer. <laughs> so it's, I'm like collecting things. It's getting worse, you know? So that was probably the grossest thing. Um, but uh, you know, it's funny you go online and, and you type in all these complaints and people have these same complaints all over the place, you know? So it's not like somehow my guys are the worst. It's just, maybe I'm just not used to, so, uh, you know, the way that they do things. Contractor life. <laughs> I guess. I'm just going to start 
every podcast from now on, I'm just going to pee in a jug and poop in C-3PO. All right. <laughs> well, on, on that note, uh, are you ready to talk about some movies that uh, we appreciate more now as adults than we did as kids? Before we start, let me find that C-3PO cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. All right. So we're going to actually go with your first pick. There's no. I don't think there's any order, uh, but this is number one for Rob. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like in rain. So my first pick uh, of the movies that I appreciate more now than I did as a kid is 1982's Blade Runner, which that is a pivotal scene towards the end of the movie. Uh, Blade Runner star, most people know this, starred uh, Harrison Ford as uh, Rick Deckard. He is a retired detective who has been hired to track down uh, replicants who are on the run. And replicants are basically the almost, uh, they're androids. They have been created in the future uh, to work on other planets and stuff. They're almost like slaves that have been uh, built or, or grown through some process. But the, the interesting thing about the replicants is that their brains, they haven't been embedded with entire a lifetime worth of memories. So think about this for just a minute. And we know, like I know that I'm 46 years old and I remember going to work yesterday and I remember, you know, my 21st birthday, I have all these memories and that's how I know that I've been alive for 46 years. But what if that's not true? What if, what if I was built today and that all those memories were just downloaded in my head and I didn't know the difference between, I mean, they, they're my memories, right? And so that's kind of what Blade Runner uh, is about, is this question of what is humanity? Like what makes us people? Now I will tell you a, a quick story. When I was nine years old, I think when uh, 1982 and Blade Runner came out, uh, a friend of mine, Andy, and his father uh, took us, the three of us went to the movies to go see Megaforce. I don't know if you've ever seen Megaforce. It's a really terrible no. uh, sci-fi movie. It's really bad. Um, and uh, we went into the theater. Megaforce started. Of course, we had got these giant, you know, 32-ounce Cokes and, and popcorns. And right when the movie started, I was like, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. And uh, Andy's grandpa, it was it was his grandpa that took us. He, he said, uh yeah, well, you're going to have to go. We're not going with you. So I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, uh, Megaforce had turned into this amazing movie. It was very futuristic, and there was uh, Harrison Ford, who I knew as a Han Solo and Indiana Jones, and, uh, you know, the, this this lady gets shot. I mean, it's a, it's a very action-filled movie, and I probably watched, like, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe? And then uh, just like in the movies, this guy comes down the aisle with a, a flashlight looking for people 
and they tapped me on the shoulder and uh uh what had happened was i had gone back to the wrong theater and i couldn't find where they were sitting so i just took a seat so i had left uh megaforce and had gone back in and, and started watching blade runner which was by the way r-rated mm. <laughs> and a much better movie than megaforce I, I would have been much happier to watch uh blade runner but that was kind of my first exposure to blade runner but at the age of nine it's this weird complicated sci-fi movie with all these deep thoughts and stuff that i just really didn't understand like i liked special effects as a kid but i didn't get what was really going on in blade runner uh so the the twist uh the irony maybe that makes me appreciate it so much more today is that on one side you have uh rick deckard harrison ford who is the blade runner and he is basically he's been hired to go kill these replicants so he's a human, but he is out to kill, like take someone's life. And on the other side, you have these replicants who are technically not alive and all they want is life. And so it's this weird mm, dichotomy between the two of, you know, the human is doing a very inhumane thing, whereas the inhuman characters, all they want is humanity, right? And so um, that that clip that you played is from the, the final showdown between the uh, bad guy, or eh, it's hard to call him a bad guy. I guess they are in a way. Um, but it's uh, Roy Batty, who's played by uh, Rutger Hauer, mm. who is always, uh, <laughs> we have like a uh, Lady Hawk, right? Was that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, that but that's just kind of the gist of, of Blade Runner. You know, it was based on a, a short story written by Philip K. Dick, uh, the short story is way different from the movie, um, but Philip K. Dick wrote, um, uh, he wrote the book uh, Total Recall that they made the movie on. He wrote A Scanner Darkly. He wrote Minority Report. So he wrote all these futuristic kind of uh, uh, stories that have kind of underlining, uh, you know, questions about morality, questions about humanity. So anyway, in a nutshell, that that's Blade Runner, but it's just that, that, thing at the end and, and then there's the the final part which uh, we talked about a little bit offline um in in this movie has so many different versions there's a director's cut there's a theatrical cut there there have been different edits throughout the years uh and so in the original uh deckard is obviously a human and he has fallen in love with a replicant and so even though they're in love, he knows replicants have a limited lifespan. They die after seven years. And so he knows that even though she thinks uh, she knows that she's a replicant, so they love each other, but there's, there's this finite amount of time, right? They like, she is going to expire. Um, in the re-release, the, the director's cut, a scene has been added that implies that Deckard may also be a replicant which changes the entire meaning of the film. It changes his character. It changes everything because now you have a replicant who doesn't know he's a replicant hunting other replicants who do know they're a replicant. So it, it really changes everything. And it's one of those weird cases where depending on what version you see, it could change the meaning a little bit. But regardless of either way, and people argue online, you know, what what the truth is. But, but either way, it, it's still a great movie. And, and like I said, that... Uh, uh, just some of those deeper meanings about 
uh, you know, life and what it means to be alive and stuff is, is what I really like about it. Well, I have to admit, I've never seen Blade Runner. I've obviously heard about it many times, but I've, I've never seen it. And I w- was going to watch it the other day because I thought, well, I'll try to to uh, to view it before we do the podcast so I can at least have some input. Never have seen it and now uh, seeing it later on as, as an adult, but I just didn't get a chance to watch it. And I asked you, I said, hey, is this something I could watch with my kids? You know, I didn't know what it was rated. And uh, you're like, well... <laughs> there are some nudities, but technically, I mean, they're replicants, so they're not humans. But, but they yeah, are, but they're humans but it's, playing. It's Daryl Hannah, so, oh, okay. so it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, the uh, the other fun thing about Blade Runner is obviously it's this futuristic world where there's replicants and there's flying cars uh, and all these things like that. And the movie takes place in 1999, so uh, somewhere we missed. We missed out. Maybe it must be an alternate universe or something. I, I'm still waiting for that flying car. All right. Well, I, I still I'm interested in seeing it, especially after you kind of explain the underlining of the movie and 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 talking about you know the life and and wanting life. It kind of uh, somewhat plays off of one of my picks that uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But we'll go with my first pick. Now, Mr. Vaughn, what we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. It's really a miracle of evolution. All this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks. And that's all. Now, why don't you take a long, close look at this sign? Those proportions are correct. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. so that's 1975's jaws uh, a movie that terrified me as a kid um it's you know i'll be honest at times when i'm at the ocean down on the shore you know if if it gets in my mind might get a little nervous but uh no really i mean i just as a kid, I never wanted to watch it. And, and I think I had seen pretty much most of the movie as I watched it later on as an adult going, yeah, I remember pretty much all of it. But uh, it definitely, definitely scared me, right, as a kid because it was just, as a kid, it was just, um, you know, a killing shark. That's it. You didn't, you didn't get the dynamics of, you know, Chief Brody going there yeah. and thinking this is just, a, you know, maybe you know, like a coastal town. It's going to be great or whatever. And then having to deal with the dynamics of what is right and what runs the town being, you know, the mayor um, and, and, and how the, the town survives on all these people coming in. And if they don't come in, that's going to kill the town in a different way. Right. Um, so he's got a, he's got this balance of that. And uh and then there's the hunt, but there's the there's the friendships, the bonds, I guess you would say. Maybe even, you know, maybe friendships take a little bit longer, but the bonds that you get between, you know, the, the three main characters, you know, um, Quint and, and Chief Brody and uh, Richard Dreyfuss uh, Hooper. It's just, I don't know. I think the acting in this movie was amazing. I loved it. Uh, I loved the three of them together interacting. And I've talked to you about this off mic is the music 
It's just the the music in this movie. Mm. If whenever you say, "Oh, what's the music of the Jaws?" Everybody's gonna do the da da da. But there's so much music in there. It's it's almost it's it's so subtle. But it's if you listen to just the soundtrack, it's you. Oh my gosh, I remember that from this part. You know, when they're going out uh, to start that basically that hunt. The three of them, like there's some really beautiful music playing. It plays to the scenes leads into others um yeah i just i just thought this was a really good movie and i'm glad i actually reviewed it for another podcast uh, that i do and uh, I, I really didn't want to but now it's just it's definitely one of my favorites yeah jaws is obviously a classic uh i think I, I i'm like you i don't know that i saw it as a kid but everybody knew about jaws to the point where i remember being scared like a lot of kids to take a bath like i thought jaws yes, would be yeah. in the bathtub you know it was terrifying <laughs> yeah um th there's two scenes that come to mind as an adult uh obviously as a kid you know it's all about the shark just like what you said um one scene as an adult that really bothers me is the scene where the mother, the parents are coming back from the funeral of the young child that got killed by Jaws. And she walks right up to Brody, uh, the sheriff, and slaps him. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you knew. Like, you knew there was a shark and you kept the beach open. And, of course, he had, had you know, like you said, pressure from the mayor and stuff. But, I mean, it's just a heart-wrenching moment um both on her part and on the sheriff's part because he does know you know what i mean like mm -hmm. he knows he, that that he did wrong like he they chose money <laughs> and the welfare of the town uh the financial welfare of the town over you know this kid's life and so that like as a, a kid that scene didn't mean it to me but but now it does and then of course um the uh like what you said, the, the bond of those three guys. I think as a kid watching Jaws, probably the most boring scene to me was uh, the scene on the boat, Quint's speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But then, it, it, but now... Oh, it's, it gives me chills thinking about it now. It's, it's just an amazing uh, speech. It's an amazing uh, piece of acting. It's an incredible scene. And... Uh, you know, it, it's that turning moment where they're like, everybody has a reason for being on that boat. And now you know what Quince is like, you know, uh, Brody's there because of the town, you know, and of course he feels the guilt of the kid. You know why Richard Dreyfus is there. But but um, now, you know, like Quince backstory or whatever. And, and it's just this really powerful scene. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Jaws is, is definitely a movie as a kid. It's a you know, scary movie about a shark, but as an adult, it's just so much more. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go uh, into your second pick of the evening. More lamb fries. Eat them while they're hot. Andy, that's your third order. I am booked, Elizabeth. <laughs> Call me Mr. Lamb Fries. Now, that's a man who knows when he's got something good in his mouth. I thought that record was going to last forever. Most folks just don't seem to have a taste for testicles no more. Testicles? Yes, ma'am. Sheep balls. That's right. Tell them why yours are so tasty. Well, the trick is, you've got to clip them off way up high. <laughs> oh, that is a 
uh, ridiculous scene from uh, the 1988 movie Funny Farm. Uh, Funny Farm is uh, a movie that stars Chevy Chase and uh, Madeline Smith as Andy and Elizabeth Farmer. Uh, Andy is a sports writer in the big city who has decided to quit his job and move to rural Vermont to become a novelist. He's going to move out to the woods. They, they have this uh, old farmhouse that they've purchased and he's going to write a novel and his wife is along for the ride. And uh, it's really, if you look at it, Funny Farm is not a good movie. <laughs> Funny Farm is really, uh, it, it, you know, it was a, obviously a Chevy Chase comedy, uh, you know, after Fletch, I believe. Um, so the, the first part of the movie is they've moved to this, this house and the house is not good. They find all these things out about the house. Uh, and then they find out that the townspeople are actually crazy and there's all these misadventures. And then there's a part where basically Andy writes his novel and gives it to his wife to read. And she just starts bawling because it's so terrible. Uh, in fact, um, uh, he says uh, something to the effect of, you know, well, what do you know? You're just a school teacher. You're not an editor. And uh, she says, exactly. If I were an editor, I would have stopped reading after the first paragraph. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, what do you want me to do with it? And she's crying. She says, burn it. <laughs> and so um, they end up like filing for divorce. And the whole third part of the movie is uh, they're trying to sell the house and leave. But the townspeople are so terrible that nobody would ever move to this town or buy this house. And so they end up with coming up with this scheme where they're going to pay everybody in the town $50 for every nice, it's like a Norman Rockwell act that they perform in front of the potential buyers. And uh, they're going to donate part of the proceeds to the town. I mean, it's just a ridiculous movie, you know? So uh, as a kid, I did like this movie, but I liked it because it was Chevy Chase. It was his physical pratfalls. I mean, there's a, a another scene where they're in a fishing, uh, him and three of the other local guys go fishing. And um, he casts his uh, fishing pole and it hooks one of the other guys on the neck. And so they're trying to remove it and and uh, he won't let him, you know. And then Chevy Chase is like, we got to knock him out. And because he, <laughs> he's fighting him and he starts punching the guy. And then one of the other old guys says, uh, you're not knocking him out. You're just beating the piss out of him. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, so, I mean, as a kid, it's, it's a, there's all these physical comedies and it's fun and it's stuff like that, right? But as an adult, uh, I used to watch this because I wanted to be a writer. And so I would watch this and, and I got this idea of, hey, if you wanted to finish a novel or do something like this is what you would do, not necessarily move, but you would go to somewhere away from distractions and stuff. And uh, when I was working on my second book, I probably had, oh, I don't know, 12 hours worth of work left on it. And I actually went and rented a cabin uh, over a three-day weekend and stayed there by myself and finished the book. And it was like kind of because of this movie. It was that idea, you know. Um, and then there's also that idea, where, again, where as a kid, you see all these townsfolk that are just annoying and, and uh and harassing them and just being awful people. But as an adult, you're like, 
man, have you ever like, I mean, like I remember we went and looked at a house one time and, and it was perfect. And as we were leaving, I heard the next door neighbor and he was sawing on a piece of wood. And the whole time we were talking to the realtor, uh, he was out there with power saws. And I was like, God, I'm glad he did that right now. Like, I'm glad we didn't buy this house. And then I found out the guy next door just literally was on using power tools outside like five days a week, you know? So mm -hmm. it's just that idea of like being a property owner uh, and making such a huge investment in a purchase and then having it ruined, not because of the property itself, although they're in this movie, there are problems with the house. Um, one of the things they find out when she's working on the garden is that there's a dead body who that has been buried on the property. And uh, when they call the authorities, they come and they uh, basically move the body and then give them a bill uh, for the burial <laughs> at the cemetery. So, um, but it's just kind of that idea of like, oh, you've made this giant purchase and now it's being ruined by other people. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of has a different, different take on it, I guess, a little bit as, a, as an adult. Now, this is one I, I definitely had seen this, an HBO movie. I think that tends to be uh, kind of a way things are on this podcast. A lot of the movies we always mention, they're the HBO movies, right? Um, and so I've seen them quite a bit growing up. And I actually came across it probably about a year and a half ago. And uh, I hate to say it, but I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, I was just like, mm, I'm just not feeling it. And I get weird about comedians and actors um you know, like I remember when Jim Carrey came on in he, the scene, really, and it was just, it just became, it's always Jim Carrey. I don't know if that doesn't make sense, but it's always the same, and it was the same with Chevy Chase for me as well. I love A Christmas uh, uh, Christmas Vacation. I love all Christmas movies and everything. Um, and we watched Fletch. I think we watched Fletch um, over the summer or something, and I liked it. And I don't even think I ever had seen Fletch before, but... Like this, yeah. Even old Saturday Night Lives, I just can't, uh, I can't, I can't get into them. Yeah, I, uh, I recently watched. Uh, you know, Chevy Chase was only on the first season of Saturday Night Live, and I watched one of those episodes, and it's just not funny. Those did not age well, and and um, I mean, he he tried to make a whole early career off the fact that he could play President Ford, which obviously nobody cares about President mm -hmm. <laughs> Ford impersonation today. Um, I really liked, he was in, um, memoirs of an invisible man. And I really liked that movie. Um, it was, uh, you know, kind of a, a modern take on the invisible man, uh, type story. Uh, both the Fletch movies were good and, and you're right. Uh, I mean, in most of these movies, he plays Chevy chase. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I feel like if I met Chevy chase that he wouldn't be that different from these characters. So. Although you know, what? I will say I I liked him in Caddyshack. Mm, yeah, I thought yeah. he played that character, you know, this great golfer, but just kind of, you know, uh, not really concerned about that. You know what I mean? Like I liked mm -hmm. his I liked his character in that. Now that I think about it, so yeah. Um, and all the vacation movies, like you said. Mm hmm. I have never really been stuck with a hook. You know, I mean, because I, I grew up, I, I fished a decent amount. We lived right by the Niagara River, and we would go there in the summer for, you know, all day. And, uh, you know, you poke your finger or whatever. But uh, I do remember, you know, going to cast, you know, and you kind of bring your arm back with your pole. And, you know, you're talking young kids that were just, you know, back in the 80s, you didn't, it was okay 
for a bunch of kids or a couple of kids to go and do something all day, right? And then you knew you had to come home for dinner or whatever. Um, and we were just a bunch of young kids fishing. And I, I'm pretty sure, and I've talked to him about before, uh, my neighbor across the street, Sean, I swear it was him that I that I got with a hook when I was pulling pack, you know, and then went to, to cast my hook. I don't think, it, it wasn't uh, super severe, but I do remember it kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> stopping in his arm maybe it was somebody else i don't know i know he does listen occasionally so if it was you i apologize and if it wasn't let me know <laughs> all right well we'll move on to uh my third second pick here we go i'm sorry i'm doing multiple tasking here so i'm not uh keeping track of things here we go talking to his breakfast that means he's finished, he's finished right? right and alex has to be to school at 7 30 and a pickup is one o'clock sharp one o'clock. now when maybe starts rubbing her little ears it means it's time for her nap, nap. But don't let her sleep past 11 minutes because then she won't go down for afternoon nap which is at one o'clock okay now wait a minute will she rub her ears again no just in the morning mm. and please don't let her sit around in a wet diaper okay huh? now kenny he'll pretty much take care of himself won't you honey i mean just keep him busy you know give him his tinker toys or his coloring book Let's see i think alex will be a little helper won't you honey mm. Sweetie. All right, just relax. All right, so that is uh, Mr. Mom. A movie that, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, it, again, HBO movie, it's from 83. It had the funny parts, right? Um, you had the the uh, the vacuum scene where you hear, I think, the Jaws music. <laughs> and uh, it's this old vacuum cleaner, you know, when he's trying to do laundry he's trying to basically what you would think or what people used to think of how a father would be if they had to run the house right we know now things are completely different it's not that way dad seemed to be way more hands-on uh, i know you were i know i was so that stuff you know but as a kid growing up you, i could kind of kind of buy into that you know my dad didn't do a lot of the stuff that that uh, Michael Keaton's character had to do in this movie, but um, it was more about that that kind of stuff, right? The funny hijinks that was going on in the movie. Now you look at it, that stuff is still great, um, but you also have like, you know, the fact that the you have this marriage and it's definitely pulling apart, right? You have uh, the wife who's trying to do the right thing. The, the husband loses his job. She is like, I'm going to go in the workforce, which I think probably back then it was definitely not as popular as it is now, right? Maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say that was the beginning of it, but I do remember when my parents split and my mom had to get into the workforce when she normally wasn't. Um, so Carolyn goes and gets a job, and uh, it's you see how she wants to move up in the business, right? She's very creative in the business. And her bar, boss, Martin Mall, is, you know, we see it now, it, it, the way the that women are treated in the workforce, right? And you plainly see it in this movie. She's trying to move up, and he is just basically interested in one thing, right? Uh, Martin Mall, her boss. And then you have Michael Keaton's character. He's playing poker with the, you know... All the neighborhood moms. I love how they're playing poker for coupons. But of course, that because, excuse me, there's such a separation with the, with the husband and wife that, uh, you know, they both start. I don't even think it's both. I think he starts seeing things differently with the women there. And, 
And uh, so it's it's more about keeping that family together. Uh, I guess you could say someone in a crisis. I mean, he lost what it seemed to be a really good job, right? Um, so I just, I think I, I watch things now as a family man and, and uh, I just kind of look at them differently. We're back as a kid. Definitely. It was just the hijinks. Yeah, uh, I agree. Now I saw this uh, as a kid, like you did probably on cable, HBO, Showtime, whatever. Uh, and then I have not revisited it until last week. Uh, whenever you uh, mentioned that this might be one of your picks, I went back and watched this for the first time in gosh, I don't know, 30 years. Um, so I, I agree with you as a kid. Uh, it, it's about the the comedy. It's you know the vacuum cleaner that may have vacuumed up the kid. It's the the scene where he doesn't know how to you know do a load of clothes, and so he puts half a box of dishwashing soap. Thank goodness for um, Tide Pods. You know, like I do laundry, I do my laundry and stuff, and it's all like like here's the instructions: put one of these things in there and turn it on. You know, same with the dishwasher. There's no more that that measuring stuff. So now it's like uh, dummy proof. Like I can do it. Um, I like how uh, I'm being facetious here, but the moral seems to be, uh, you know, women need to be at home and men need to be at work because if they switch, everybody is going to have an affair. Like that's, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't possibly have a, uh, a woman in the workforce, you know, in, in a, a male dominated workforce, um, but it, that wasn't really, I mean, that wasn't her fault. Uh, you know, he was obviously pressuring her, uh, you know, even going as far as to, to sneak into her hotel room, uh, while she was in the bathtub, uh, towards the end. Uh, and then Michael Keaton was kind of the same way, you know, I mean, you know, he had these ladies coming over, um, uh, you know, to play cards and hang out. Obviously there's that, the, the one woman who, who is uh, chasing him basically just because he's around, you know, she's like, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's a stay at home mom. So I'm going to start flirting with him or whatever. So I don't know. I do think like as an adult watching it, uh, you, it's not really about the situation, like about how she does it, her job or how he does with his job. Uh, But it's more about like what you said, it's that family thing. Like, whatever family dynamic, you know, that you have, whatever, whatever works for, for your family, whether that's, you know, your wife, uh, you know, working or, or you working or, you know, in, in, uh, most families now are, are dual income, you know, which is, is, uh, even different from when this movie came out. So, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going back and revisiting it. And yeah, I can, I can definitely see how it, uh, uh, like a lot of these just has a, a different, uh, uh, a take on it when you're actually an adult and you've been in some of these situations. And it's just a fun movie. It, it really is. I mean, it's got the happy ending in it and it's got all the hijinks in between. Uh, I just, re- I really like it. And I just watched it again last week myself on uh, Pluto TV, which is a free streaming service. You can get on Roku fire stick. Mm-hmm. I have it on my phone. Um, and so I just, I, I'd be in the kitchen. I throw it on, you know, I would just can, Whenever I saw it and I was doing something, uh, just put it on. It's, it's it's definitely a fun movie to uh, to visit. So, um, speaking of fun movies, we'll move on to your next pick. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. 
All right. Well, that is the famous line uttered by uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in the movie They Live from 1988. Uh, So this is a movie that I did not see as a kid. And uh, this is kind of uh, the one I referenced before we began. Um, I was into wrestling in the mid uh 1980s uh i was very much uh, we had mid-south wrestling here so it was all you know the von erics and fabulous Freebirds and all those guys uh before everything kind of became uh, global you know um and so when wrestling kind of turned like national and then you had hulk hogan and rowdy roddy piper and stuff i lost interest a little bit and so when this movie came out and it was just being pushed as a Rowdy Roddy Piper movie, I, it really turned me off. Like, I didn't want to go see a movie where the wrestler, I I honestly thought it had something to do with wrestling. And so I was like, eh, it's just not for me. And so uh, later on, I, you know, of course, with the internet, you you pick up references and, and uh, you know, what movies are about. So I over the years, I kind of knew what it was about, but I didn't actually watched this movie until uh, you and Nicole reviewed it on Horrified Chicken, your uh, uh, horror theme podcast that you do. So I watched it uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. And there's kind of a common theme on some of the, a couple of the movies I picked, but uh, um, it, I mean, the, on the surface, of course, it's this movie where when they, they uh, put on the special sunglasses, they could see that uh, all these people are are aliens and and they could see all all the like the subliminal uh, advertising you know behind things like you know subliminal messages telling people to to obey things like that but um uh you know if you kind of read between the lines it's this um idea that all the things that are in front of us all the things that are in the world around us aren't always what they seem and i i mean that is true like when we look at things like social media, like uh, people are shocked when uh, they find out that Facebook uh, is is taking their information or selling their information or harvesting their information or Google or, or whoever is doing those things, you know, Amazon. Um, and so it's that kind of idea where, you know, oh, on the surface, Facebook is a fun thing where we post pictures and we share links and we do all that stuff. And it is all those things, but uh, beneath the surface, like if you could put on those glasses, what would it say about Facebook? What would it say about social media? When we go to the, you know, you drive down the street and you see a billboard, like what is the message really behind that billboard? You know? So uh, like I said, this is one that as a, a kid, just, I guess because Rowdy Rowdy Piper was in it Um it just didn't like whatever that I didn't know what the plot was. It just didn't appeal to me, but as a, an adult watching it for the first time, I really enjoyed uh, uh, the message and stuff. I mean, of course it's an action movie and there's some funny parts and there's the uh, world's longest fight in an alleyway between two men (laughs) that goes on for like five or 10 minutes. But, um, but the part that I really do enjoy is, is that idea of, you know, uh, being able to, whether it's through 
magic sunglasses in the movie or in real life, you know, looking at things and thinking about things, but seeing that uh, things aren't always the way that they're presented. So you said that uh, you had heard about this from Horrified Chicken, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, oops, I got the wrong banner on the bottom. Sorry. Um, so I had never even heard of this movie until Nicole had brought this to my attention that we were doing it. And I watched the trailer, and I believe that's that scene is one of the tra- is in one of the trailers. Um, so... <laughs> I, I don't even think I look that deep into it as, as you just explained uh, about the movie. Um, it's, it's definitely a one and done for me. I, I, I just, uh, you know what? One of the things I noticed though, is like, and let's just go back to like eighties wrestlers in general. Right. And then you look at wrestlers now it's, I don't, maybe, maybe they are, but it's not to say that the wrestlers now are tougher or stronger or whatever, but there was a different look. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. uh, back in the eighties, the wrestlers, I mean, you had Hulk and everything, but even still compared to these guys now, it's just, they, they look like they're, they're robots and made, you know, um, mm-hmm. there was a, there was a different look to them. Like kind of, I, I hate to say like a, a doughy, mu- you know, muscular kind of guy, but you know what I'm saying? Like now it's like everything is ripped and it's just like, what the heck? They so, were like like muscular dad bods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or even just like that that like the guy you, that was like uh you know lifted weights and was in great shape in high school and now he's in his you know mid twenties. You know right. what I'm saying? Like that kind of look to him. Um, I, I and I can appreciate that more than these guys now <laughs> nowadays. But um, I mean it was a fun movie when we watched it. But will I go back to that? Probably not, but I understand why, um, you know, you never had seen it before and, and why you can, can appreciate it more now. Um, I just, I just don't, <laughs> but, uh, anyways, we'll, uh, we'll move on to my next pick and this one, if I had to pick one number one movie, could be this one. Mm. I guess me and your grandma are going away, David. Where to? Well, that's not important. What's important is that when we get where we're going, we'll never be sick, we won't get any older, and we won't ever die. You're joking me, right? No. Would I be able to visit you, Grandma? No. And we wouldn't be able to visit you either, and that kind of bothers me. I'd never see you again? No. When would you go, if you did? Soon, my boy, soon. man that scene gets me every time every time um this is a movie again saw it many times parts here and there and it was like oh there's the movie where the old people feel young again and they break dance and they do this and they do that and okay 
And I don't know what made me watch it again. This this past year I watched it, and I don't know what it was that that made me go, okay, I'll sit through this movie with old people acting like they're young again for whatever reason, right? Um, and man, did I just fall in love with this movie. Uh, I don't I, think you mentioned what the name of the movie was. Oh, it's Cocoon. Thank you. Oh. I am. I, I man. I am so off my game tonight. Uh, it's we're co- the old people. We're the <laughs> Alzheimer's people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Cocoon, Cocoon from 19, 1985. Um, just first of all, Wilfer Brimley. I, I just think he's just uh, he's he's a great actor. He's a believable actor. He. He is your grandfather. You know, he's that wise old man um, and everything I've seen him in. And and I know you and I talked about this like a month or so ago. The fact that he was, I think, 50, was he 56 when he did this movie? 50. So, 50? Yeah. Four I mean, years older than me. Yeah. So <laughs> um, that alone is amazing. And, 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 you kind of can tell, like, especially if you watch Cocoon, the return, and I'll get to that in a second. You can tell um, in this movie, his hair has that like, not white, but kind of yellowish. Like they're trying to die over his normal hair. It just didn't, it didn't look natural. Like that was the one thing in the movie that kind of like took me out. Um, Steve Gutenberg, Steve Gutenberg. You know, a little over the top, goofy with some stuff, more so in Cocoon Returns. Um, but uh, just the the whole aspect of mortality, right? And then the conflict of are you willing to, uh, as they say, cheat Mother Nature? But then what are you? What are you leaving? What are you giving up? Right? You're giving up your family. And so there's that whole struggle. And then there's the relationships of the elderly folks, right? And not only their friendships, but their marriages and things that they've done in the past, maybe that um, kind of shine their heads a little bit again with Joe and his wife. But ultimately, it's the love these people have. They want to, uh, they're, they're scared. They're, they're scared to die. They have an opportunity, but they find that, um, you know, there's also the, dare I say, selfishness of them in the sense of uh, Brian Dennehy's character. I, I forget his name in the, in the movie, but he's kind of like, let's say, we'll say he's like the leader of the aliens that are there. And he allows them to swim in this pool and basically draining the life force from these cocoons that are keeping these things that have been here for, what, thousands of years mm-hmm. alive. Um, ends up backfiring and and he even says you know Brian Dennehy's characters tells Wilford Brimley uh, Ben that you know every so often he makes a mistake in his judgment and Atlantis was one of them and basically letting the old folks still come and get rejuvenated in the pool is probably going to be another mistake and it ends up being a mistake but all works out for the most part um into the next movie (laughs) so in that clip ben isn't completely telling the truth he can come back and visit his grandson but um just that part of that part too you know it's like you can see in the movie this the the grandson doesn't really have peers that he connects with he connects with his grandfather he has uh i believe his parents are divorced or maybe his father passed away i can't remember 
Um, but it's a single mom situation. But he seems very close with the grandfather. He seems to be always there. And uh, so just the fact that the grandfather, the grandparents are going to leave, leave him behind, you know, they're not going to see him grow up. Um, it's a it's a tearjerker. It definitely is for me, at least. I mean, dude, I watched this again and then I watched Cocoon Returns um, this week on the treadmill. And it's hard. It is hard to run on a treadmill when you got a lump in your throat. <laughs> Now, is this one that you saw? Did you see Cocoon as a kid? I, I did. Like I said, I, I, I had seen it, but it was it was just, you know, I, I guess I seen like the dance scene, right? Right when they go out to the club mm. and, and Don Amici starts to break dance and stuff. Like so it was like <laughs> those things. I don't I just didn't really because when I watched it in eighty five, you know, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm not thinking that someday I'm going to grow old and I'm going to you know, sure. I'm going to die and get sick or whatever, which you and I have had many conversations off off mic about that, where that's kind of like a big fear of mine now. Like, as I'm getting older, you start, start thinking that way. So I think that made it hit home a little bit too, as well. And, you know, I have kids, you know, you, you question, um, you know, you don't want to outlive your kids, right? You, you want to, you want to grow old sure. and, and watch them grow and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. And the girl that plays Kitty, which I believe is Raquel Welch's daughter. <laughs> I will, uh, the, the two scenes that got me, and I don't know that I ever saw this all the way through as a kid, uh, but I did watch it recently. Uh, the two scenes that really got me, uh, both involved uh, the gentleman whose uh, wife had uh, Alzheimer's. And we see that like in the opening scene, like she forgets. Uh, yeah, Rose. Uh, who someone is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, he doesn't believe in the healing pool. He doesn't want to go to the pool. He doesn't think it's natural. And uh, then when she passes away, he picks her up, and it's just heartbreaking, yeah. you know, just as he's taking over to the pool trying to save her, but it's it's too late, you know, and. Um, it's just re that that scene was was difficult to watch and then at the end uh you know he when everyone else as couples are joining the aliens and they're gonna go to outer space and they're gonna live forever and he you think maybe he's he's coming uh you know to join them because he doesn't have anything to lose his wife has already passed away but Instead, he tells them that he's staying uh, because he doesn't want to live forever without his wife. And when that scene was playing, I was thinking, like, uh, this is a really morbid thought, but I was thinking, like, at some point in my life, either I will pass away or my wife will pass away. And, like, which which of those two things is worse? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I I don't want to live without my wife but i don't want to die first <laughs> I, don't want to <laughs> I don't want to die tomorrow <laughs> you know like and eh, maybe maybe we'll both go out in a, a plane crash or something that'd be nice um but uh it, it's just that thought of like you know like i remember i remember one time uh i think it might have been when uh kurt cobain died and i was talking to my dad i was like man he was just so young uh and like i just can't believe that he passed away and my dad said 
you know, basically every musician, you know, is going to pass away in your lifetime and then someday you'll die, you know? So I was like, that's a terrible thought. Like that's re-, you know, and, and just thinking about that. So as, as you're watching cocoon and, and they're making these decisions, you know, do they want to live forever or is it worth living forever to give up your, your relationship with other people? I always think about that. Um, I think this is probably a common theme, like in those uh, types of movies where someone gets three wishes and you say, Oh, well, I, I want to live forever. Well, if you literally wish that you would live forever, that means everybody that you know and love, you're going to watch them get old and pass away. And mm-hmm. then you're going to see other people come and go and, and uh, I don't know, it would just, I don't think it would be that great, you know? So I don't know. There, there was definitely some moments uh, in this film that uh, really make you think about stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I know we're talking cocoon, but cocoon, the return, I, you know, I had to watch it. And I've never seen it. So what's, what's the general idea? I mean, so basically um, they have to come back. They have to come back to get cocoons out. Um, and so obviously everybody comes back, the whole crew, they come back, but as they're back, um, there is no longer a pool with, with cocoons in it. Right. Um, so it's like they have some powers because they've, they've gone to a planet where nobody gets sick, nobody dies. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's a, it's a bad movie, but it's, uh, like a friend of mine said, it's very predictable. The the second one when things are happening, um, there are definitely scenes that'll pull at your heartstrings again. Uh, specifically with with Joe, who is in the first one, is basically the guy who was, you know, having affairs. It seems to all their marriage, right? But she, Jessica Tandia forgives him. Um, there there is a scene where. She is uh, in the hospital. An accident happens, and she's ba- she's dying. I think she dies, and he like touches her and basically gives his life force to her. For, and they're together for a few seconds, um, and then he passes away. And it's very, very sad. Um, so you like it in this movie, but not when Kylo Ren does it. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Do we really have to go back to that? <laughs> No, no, no. Go on. Yeah. So it, it's just it's about it's another rescue movie. Um, it gets a little, it gets weird. I mean, you have Courtney Cox in it. Um, I I didn't I did not feel the way I did about the original at all. It's it's very, it's 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 not that good. It's not that good. It will give you. It will you know. It is a tearjerker at, at some scenes as well. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's you. You don't need to see it, and I would say don't make the mistake of watching Cocoon and then watching Cocoon Returns right after. Soak in the greatness of what is Cocoon. <laughs> I will say the one problem I had with Cocoon, and it's not a problem. It's just a, a question I had was uh, Steve Gutenberg's character is he is a boat captain. Uh, and it's made clear right up front. He doesn't have anything going for him. He doesn't, he owes money. Uh, he's, he's so in debt that they won't let him dock his boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he takes this job. So he's broke. Uh, he has no relationship. He has nothing really going for him. He falls in love with one of the aliens, uh, 
and at the very end he he it's his boat that takes all the uh, elderly people out to the ufo to the rendezvous point they're being chased they pick him up and everything uh and I thought, well, maybe he's going to be the diversion to let everybody get away. But he doesn't even do that. The kid does that, you know. And so I was really surprised that he didn't go with the aliens. Like, I get it that he's young, but you're not going to be young forever. Yeah. You know, and he was in love with one of the aliens. Yeah, with uh, Kitty. And yeah. and I thought he would go with, go with them in the second movie, and he doesn't. And I got to tell yeah. you this. Kitty in the second movie is absolutely 80s beautiful. Her hair, oh my gosh! Uh, but, um, but yeah. So I and I thought in the I thought in the first movie that the grandson and the mother, because you can't separate them somehow. She, I thought they would go. I felt as though they were they were, um, you know, because he was so close to the grandparents and was so detached from kids his age, and they would give him a hard time and and stuff like that. Um, that I thought he was going to end up going with his mom too. But I think that was what really pulled it. That was heartstring was the fact that right. there was that, sacrifice. There was that bond, but yeah, there's got to be a sacrifice for them to uh, beat mother nature or whatever. So we've spent uh, a ton of time <laughs> on cocoon, but I really, I, I just really love that movie. It was really good. So um, let's get to your next pick, Rob. Excuse me, sir. I kind of just threw up in your car. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, that's all I just right. ate shaving cream. Well, everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. <laughs> nice way to clean it up for the kid. <laughs> it's such a dumb movie. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not a dumb movie, but it's uh, the dumb uh, movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stuff from uh, 1985. Uh, that was uh, Michael. Um, I always say his name wrong. Uh, Moriarty, I think he's uh, Mo Mo Rutherford, but uh, yeah. he's the the attorney guy. He's always after Mo money. Um, yeah, as he tells I, like three different people in the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition in this movie. Um, so again, uh, I believe that I saw this on cable. This was one of those late night horror movies that they used to show on cable. Um, I didn't uh, really remember it. And then probably uh, maybe 10 years ago, a friend of mine mentioned it and he was like, oh, I thought you would love that movie. I was like, eh. I, I vaguely remember it. I need to go back and watch it. And wow, so I this, watched con it. this conversation sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, but mine has a different ending. A, a friend recommended and said you'll love it. And in my version, I did enjoy the movie. <laughs> um, the uh, Again, so this is kind of similar to um, They Live in a way that the story... I mean, the movie is about one thing, but there's a much deeper meaning to it. Uh, the, the, the movie is about this product called The Stuff. And it's, you know, essentially it's like some, looks like marshmallow cream or something, but people are eating it and it, it makes them feel so good and they get addicted. But also they have a need for other people to get it. So once you're enjoying the stuff, you try to get other people to enjoy the stuff, you know, and it, it's almost like... Um, 
it's almost like soil and green where people are like living off of this stuff. You know, there's a, people's refrigerators are just filled with the stuff. It's kind of, kind of silly, but um, you know, the, the gist of the movie is um, like, I, I like when people take a, a figurative, like a figure of speech and then they make it literal, you know? And so when you talk about like drugs or junk food or junk entertainment, whatever that is, and people would always say like, oh, that's rotting your brain or that's, you know, that food's going to rot you from the inside out. Well, that's literally what the stuff does in this movie is these people are eating it and it's turning them into these monsters. It's making them, you know, it's rotting them from the inside, you know? And so, <clears throat> um, as a movie itself, it's kind of silly and you literally can sit and pick it apart. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, of logic, weird things that, that are going on and the acting is not so good, but I, I more than, uh, I mean, so as a kid, I think it's like, Oh, it's a horror movie. It's like, it's like the blob. Like people are, are night of the living dead. Like people are turning into these monsters. Like, you know, them, they look familiar, but they're turning into monsters and they're coming to get you and they're trying to turn you into a monster, right? Which is like the nightmare everybody has. But as an adult, it's more about that, um, again, kind of that consumerism. It's about that, you know, of like, what are you putting in your body? And that could be food. That could be, um, you know, what are you reading? What are you watching? And obviously we're terrible examples based on the, uh, the movies that I've watched, right? But um, like, what are you putting in and what is that doing to you uh, on the inside? So I, that's why I like it more as an adult is not really for the movie on the surface. I think everybody could agree that the the kid in this movie is not the best actor. Mo is not the best actor. Uh, so there's a lot of problems with this movie on the surface, but it's just that underlying idea of, uh, of, you know, commercialism rotting people that, that I like as an adult. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I, I agree on that. Um, and it is very clear when you watch the movie that that's what's going on. That said, I well, I had never heard of this movie. Never knew it existed until someone recommended it uh, that we watch it for Horrified Chicken. And uh, that someone was you. <laughs> I think I'm 0 for 7 on uh, <laughs> I, Horrified Chicken recommendation. I don't know if it's that, if it's that <laughs> high, but... Um, well, I had told you, like, hey, man, I need some recommendations. I want some 80s horror flicks that are kind of my kind of movie, like, just kind of, because I do, like, more of the sillier ones. Um, Killer Clowns, that was a great horror movie. Um, but uh, this one, I mean, the acting was just so horrible that I, it just, it took me out. I, I just, Mo is an awful, <laughs> awful character. Um, the guy uh, playing him uh, was oh, it's just, it's awful. It's a weird accent. It's like some weird, some definitely some weird choices were made <laughs> during yeah. the uh, acting and directing. Yeah, I don't have the IMDb uh, pulled up, but there, I believe there was uh, a decent amount of now well-known actors that were in this mm -hmm. that were in this movie. And and uh, I mean, for '85, we talked about this on on our other on my other episode about it. You know, it's like it doesn't seem like a big jump from when this movie took place to when they, these actors became like more, um, you know, serious or more well-known or whatever. But regardless, um, it is a silly, goofy movie. Um, I, I'm glad it made, <laughs> I'm glad it made your list. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and I think uh, I think you'll probably pick apart maybe. Uh, I know. I think my next one. I think my last one. I have two left. I think my last one you'll be okay with. But I think this next one uh, you're going to have an issue with. Well, he's certainly dead now. Why would he know I want to kill him twice? It seems so unnecessary. That's well, what we call overkill. It's what we call a psychotic. Unless he wasn't dead before. What's the difference? That's what we're trying to find out. We're trying to find out who killed him and where and with what. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. All right, I am. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. There we have 1985's Clue. Now, I know that uh, I actually saw this movie in the theaters as a kid. And, uh, you know, when I put this on the list, and as we were going along tonight, and even yesterday I was looking at it, and I was like, I don't know if this actually deserves to be, it should be on the list. I don't think it's playing by the rules because... I think I liked it just as much as a kid as I do as I do now, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I I I thought that the uh, first of all, like all the again, like the hijinks of everything that's happening. Um, I love the ending where you know if you watch it uh, on HBO or if you rent it or something, you get all three different endings. That was one of the things as kids, where it's like you in the theaters, you got one ending right and now you can see all the endings but i just thought the humor was great in this movie i thought the acting was for what it was i thought the acting was great i mean it wasn't this isn't some shakespearean movie it's it's a comedy right it's like mystery uh a comedy mystery um there's been other movies like this which we can talk about in a second um murder by death being one right and uh but i just i just think it's such a fun movie how could you not love it? I found a way. I oh, found a way not to love it. Do tell. I, <laughs> I will say I agree You're like, with you, you know what? Point. You've been crapping on all my picks. Here comes a big turd. No, no, no. I agree with you on one point. Uh, you said that you loved it as much as a kid as you do now. And I agree with that. I love it as much <laughs> now as I loved as a kid, which is zero. Um, so... Uh, uh, you know, as a kid in the the late 70s, early to mid 80s, there was a resurgence of uh, these types of movies. Um, you mentioned uh, Murder by Death. There was uh, Private Eyes. The uh, what is that? Uh, oh, Don Tim Knotts. Conway, Don Tim, Knotts yeah. yeah. First. Um, that was the first episode ever of Throwback Reviews. That's right. Yeah, I remember. So I i listened to that episode that was long before i was on the show because i love that that show or that movie so much and i found that and uh i have told this story but i listened to it on an airplane i hate flying and i listened to i downloaded several episodes of uh, throwback reviews and i listened to that and by the time that plane landed i was like i'm gonna be on that show <laughs> i'm gonna call those guys and send them emails about uh, uh private eyes i loved private eyes as a kid i loved murder by death um, there was another one, Haunted Honeymoon, that I love. That was uh, Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner. Yeah. It was like a radio that. broadcast kind of. Uh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. that movie. I'd like to yeah. I'd like to revisit that one. It's good. Um, and then they're all, you know, it loosely uses the same structure as uh, Agatha Christie's uh, And Then There Were None. So they're all, it's all the same type of thing where people get invited to a house by someone 
and then they're slowly being murdered or whatever. I think I, another I recommended um, April Fool's Day uh, to Horrified Chicken. I think you did. How, another, what, do you remember how another, I felt about that one? Another thumbs down, right? That was part of my O of seven. So um, the uh, I don't know what it is about this movie that I've never been able to get into. I feel like all the actors are just like way over the top. Like everybody's overacting. Um, and, and separately, I like most of these people. Uh, I, I, Tim, it's not, is it, it's not Tim Robbins, Tim. Oh, oh, Tim Curry, Tim Curry. Yeah. Um, he might be my least favorite, uh, of the ensemble. Um, but I, you know, uh, you mentioned Michael Murray, like him, you, um, God, I'm thinking of all the people that were in it, uh, I mean, there's just a, a ton of talent, but I, there's something about it where it never, to me, that never feels like there's a plot to this movie. It just literally feels like they're running from room to room, um, looking at, you know, people are being killed for no reason. And then at the end, I think, in my opinion, <laughs> I think if at the end of a movie you could pick three random endings and they all make sense, that's not like genius. That leads to the point of that everything else was so confusing that it doesn't matter. It doesn't what matter. <laughs> you know, I do remember when it was in the theater, um, it was like groundbreaking that that last reel was random, you know, and that you could get different endings and stuff like that. So uh, it's not that I don't, I don't want to say that I hate the movie or whatever. I just, I, I recently watched it again uh, and I just couldn't I, either it's like partially can't follow it and just I just lose interest. I, I know it was a struggle for you because you had mentioned that to me. But I mean, I I don't think it's for me. I don't know. I don't think it's, um, you know, it's obviously not supposed to be taken serious. But I think a lot of that over the topness is for me, I, I interpret it as it's it's the time that this is based right where mm-hmm. movies were like that. Actors were like that. Um I don't know, man. I just I just find it to be such a fun movie. I can watch it whenever it's on. It is staying on. I don't. I I, I love to watch it. I do like uh, in that clip you played where um, Tim Curry is like, "We're here to find out who was killed in what room with what," which is like literally the game. The point of the game clue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like he just explained the game right there. Yeah, and the, I mean, and that was a that was a game I grew up playing. You know, whether it be at a family function or with friends always playing clue we've tried to play it here it's hard with my kids they get they get kind of mad at each other and stuff like that yeah. <laughs> so I, think we've, I think we've played once or twice but yeah uh i knew this wasn't uh a top pick for you i didn't think you'd be so harsh on it but it's okay it's okay let's move on to your uh your last pick of the night fire's got the temperature up all over the camp Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me. If we've got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens.
So that is um, the closing scene uh, very near the end of uh, 1982's The Thing. That is uh, Kurt Russell as McCready. Um, and in that scene, you are literally listening to two men basically who distrust. They're the two survivors of this incident, and they distrust each other so much uh, that they are basically have agreed to freeze to death <laughs> rather than possibly save the other one. Uh, because the thing is this alien creature that's been uh, buried in the ice for some period of time and has been uh, accidentally exposed or released by scientists. Um, it uh, and, and what the thing does is uh, it takes over people. It, it buries itself. It's kind of like alien in a way where it, it uh, embeds itself into people. And so you don't know whether they who they say they are or whether they're the thing and uh so i i may have seen this as a kid it's vaguely familiar um i remember it being a horror movie as a kid but i don't remember it being particularly scary obviously there's a couple of uh uh jump scares and there's a scene where uh, uh we actually see kind of the thing you know this weird morphed uh thing before they uh, hit it with a, a flamethrower <laughs> but um you know as a uh, as far as scary movies go there were much scarier movies in the early 80s i mean the, you know this is 82 so we already have halloween uh, this is friday the 13th era you know right in the middle of all that so you know it's not really a scary movie but then again it wasn't designed to be that and so when you watch this movie as an adult and i have and I love, I really, really love this movie. It is this entire scenario where these people are stranded. I mean, they are in the middle of the Arctic. There is no way for them to leave uh, until the, you know, it thaws out in the spring. Uh, so they're not leaving and they are stuck with this alien creature that is taking over people one by one and killing them. Uh, and, and then of course, you know, so so when you, run into your buddy who you've been stationed with this, this uh, base. Is it your buddy or is it a guy who's, uh, you know, building a secret UFO in a back room to, yeah. <laughs> for the alien to take off and leave, you know? So uh, it is John Carpenter. Um, so this is, I mean, I love, I think I've loved everything John Carpenter has done. Obviously I mentioned Halloween. You got to escape from New York. You have one of my favorite movies of all time, big trouble in little China. Um, and then, of course, Kurt Russell, uh, who was in two of those three movies, actually. And, and uh, uh, I just, uh, it's like, you know, as a kid, uh, I think most kids like the movie Aliens, which is the sequel over Alien. Because Alien is this, like, slow, creepy, uh, high-pressure, high-stress movie where Aliens is dudes with machine guns and aliens coming and going and, and lots of action, you know? Um, and I think this is more like alien, the first than aliens. I mean, it is a, uh, a slow burn, you know, as you move through and you're figuring out the rules and figuring out how the alien works. Uh, and then there was um, uh, the quote unquote sequel slash remake that was released a few years ago, which if you saw it, it was it was kind of touted as a uh, remake, but if you watch it, it ends exactly 
Uh, it's almost like Rogue One. Like it ends with a, the alien taking over the dog and running away, which is how this movie begins. So it is actually a prequel that ends exactly at the moment that this movie uh, starts. So uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, I watched it, I I think, last year or something for the first time. Uh, again, another podcast. Uh, did you recommend that? I don't think so. Yeah, because you're zero for seven, so obviously not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it is a good movie. It really is. Um, it, it's slow burn, but not not bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very, I, I, I have a hard time with especially horror movies that are real slow burns, you know. Um, I thought it was a really good movie, and of course, it's got Wilford Brimley in it. I mean, come on! I know he's been in several of our movies, uh, uh, and the one thing that I, I don't—I don't think on any of my other movies that I mentioned or would even think about—is um, uh, I got this on Blu-ray. Like, I, I, there's a commentary track with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell talking about the movie. It's really good, um, but I bought it on Blu-ray and. Uh, I think it was one of the earlier Blu-rays that I owned. And when I watched it for the first time, I mean, I had forgotten that there are these huge like cinematic shots of, you know, these establishing shots just showing like how far in the middle of nowhere they are. Like they're not leaving. They're not going anywhere. And it's just, you know, snow and ice and mountains as far as you could see off in the distance. And these, you know, of course, back then it would be like a helicopter shot. Um, but these helicopter shots going around and stuff. And it's really, really beautiful. And it's kind of that irony of like, uh, this place is really beautiful and we're all going to die here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like when they do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, and I'd never seen this movie as a kid, but I can definitely see why you would pick this one, how this could be on, on your appreciation list. Um, I'd watch it again. I, I don't know if I'd go out of my way to, but... If it was on, Nicole wanted to watch it or one of the kids, definitely a good movie. So I think that is a a good pick and a good way to end your picks. And now let's see if mine is a good way to end my picks. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Yep. Let's get ready. Switch me on. There you have it. 1984's Ghostbusters. So we actually did this episode. We had a friend Christopher Tupa on with us when we we uh, covered Ghostbusters a few years back, I think it was. And I had said on there, like, I, I never got into the Ghostbusters craze as a kid. I had never seen Ghostbusters as a kid in its entirety and probably even smaller bits than some other movies that I'd seen here and there. Like it just, I knew it was there. It was, I knew it was a huge thing, but it just wasn't, uh, it just didn't capture me when I was a kid. I just didn't really care. Now, um, I think I had watched it once and that's and then we ended up doing it for throwback reviews and that was because i was like man we gotta do this movie but i always say that ghostbusters is my favorite 80s movie that i didn't see in the 80s like i just find it to be such a 
I can see now why it was so big, but I don't, I obviously, even if I would have seen the whole thing, I probably wouldn't have, but I just, I don't know. The, the, the casting was perfect. Uh, and I know there was changes made from what they originally wanted as casting. And it's one of those things where, where you go, I'm kind of glad, kind of glad that John Candy wasn't in it, that it was Rick Moranis because he was awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. And Sigourney Weaver, oh, hot, but, uh, <laughs> but no, she played, she played this part. Awesome. I just love this movie, man. This movie is always on my phone and audio, uh, only so like when i'm at work because i mentioned i work in a factory if i don't want to listen to a podcast and i want to listen to music but maybe it's just like like when you're you know kind of tootling around in the house doing things you have a movie on in the background it's one of those i can just put it on and i can listen to the movie uh and i know everything that's going on as i'm you know hearing it so it a fun movie ghostbusters 2 i'm pretty sure we talked about that briefly on that episode not the same feelings. <laughs> well, um, uh, so I, I probably am repeating little things that I said on uh, that episode, but um, I have a specific memory of watching Ghostbusters at the local drive-in. We went to the drive-in quite a bit uh, as kids. I mean, there were these nights where, like, I, uh, I remember seeing, like, Star Trek two and Tron and Dragon Slayer, like all the same night. Like they would, you know, cause they would always show like two or three movies in a row. And I definitely remember uh, going to the theater or to the drive-in and watching Ghostbusters. Uh, so I loved it as a kid. I mean, the only reason why I wouldn't put this on my personal list is because uh, <laughs> like, as I joked about clue, like I liked it the same as a kid as now, I would say that's the same for Ghostbusters. Uh, but I loved it. I loved it as a kid and I loved it now. Now I will tell you that um, I think I was of the age where I was just growing out of, uh, I don't know if it, it wasn't, I wasn't growing out of, of uh, liking those sorts of things, but I was growing out of toys. I mean, Ghostbusters is 84. I got my Commodore 64 in 85. So uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm laughing at, the man who has had a freaking Star Wars room say it's the time I was growing out of toys. Well, it, it, what I was growing out of during that era was like cartoons and stuff. And so uh, like when all the real Ghostbusters, I mean, that mm-hmm. cartoon, the real yeah. Ghostbusters, uh, and then the toys were coming out for all that. Like I didn't get that stuff because i mean that was like 85 86 and all of a sudden like for christmas i was asking for you know like floppy disks and a mode a better modem and like that sort of stuff you know so um i mean ghostbusters i loved and i actually do like ghostbusters too i realize it's a far inferior movie to the original ghostbusters but uh you know there's parts of it i enjoy but i i um yeah i i just Really enjoyed Ghostbusters. I, I probably shared this story on that other uh, episode, but uh, uh, several years ago, I went to New York City to do some work, uh, uh, some security work. Uh, and the the host that was driving me around, we were in, going back and forth between uh, New York City and, and New Jersey, and he was pointing out all these things. Like uh, he drove by, he's like, you know, if you look over here, you can see the Statue of Liberty. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'd never been to New York City before. 
And he says, you know, if you look over here, you can see this bridge. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And we pull up to a stoplight. Um, and right across the corner from us at the stoplight is this building. And outside the building was a guy in a Ghostbusters uniform just standing there on the corner. And I was like, is that guy dressed as a Ghostbuster? And he goes, yeah, that's the building from Ghostbusters. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I immediately saw it. It was the firehouse from Ghostbusters. And I freaked out. Now, this should tell you what a, uh, I guess, a fan of pop culture I am. Uh, it seems like I might have been more excited about the Ghostbusters firehouse than the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> which seems ridiculous. But uh, seeing that that building in real life uh, just really shocked me. I, I, I don't know why I didn't expect it to just be on this particular corner in New York City, but there it was, you know. So, yeah, I, I loved Ghostbusters. Um, I still enjoy it. Like you, if I'm flipping channels and it seems to be on uh, Comedy Central quite a bit, you know, whenever they're airing stuff, when it's on, I'll usually end up leaving it there. And it's like I know every every line of dialogue from that movie, you know, like like you could just talk along with it and you know the jokes. And, and um, I could see enjoying it, uh, like you said, in audio form, just because I can imagine I've seen it so many times I can imagine all the scenes. So yeah, I think this is a, a great pick. Um, I, I really am. It, it's one of those movies like um, my wife told me one time, like when we got married, she said, yeah, I never got around to seeing E.T. And I, <laughs> I literally did not know there was anybody in the country uh, that made it to adulthood without seeing E.T. So uh, I realized Ghostbusters was not as big as E.T., but uh, whenever you said that you hadn't seen Ghostbusters in the 80s, I thought everybody had seen it. So, uh, But I'm glad that you have seen it now, and I'm glad that you enjoy it because uh, I just think it's a great movie. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of shocked that I didn't as well because we we went to a lot of movies as kids, and I, I just can't believe my mom didn't want to go see this. But I don't know, maybe she saw the Stay Puff, and, and she's just like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I got to tell you, I think um, – of the characters, I, I think Rick Moranis's uh, character, um, what the heck was his name? Now <laughs> I can't think it was his character's name, but um, but Walter Pack, the, the two of them. Oh yeah, the two yeah. of them. I think I enjoy watching their performances more than the you know the actual Ghostbusters themselves. You know, Bill Murray, Aykroyd, and Hudson, uh, Ramis. I, I I like those two. I think they're they're great in 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 the movie, but. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think as as I think about it, I think for me, Ghostbusters Two is like Cocoon: The Return. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it is inferior, you know. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, there are parts of it that are kind of painfully unfunny, like the when they take the goo and they put it in the toaster and it dances around. Like I just, I really have to. Um, roll my eyes at that. Like there's some things that are just not really that funny in that movie, but um, uh, I don't know that about, and you know what? There was a, the whole era where it was like two or three movies all wanted uh, songs in their movies from Bobby Brown. And that just didn't seem to go well for anybody. No, <laughs> especially Whitney Houston, but yeah. Too soon. Lewis, Lewis Tully. Yeah. Lewis Tully. It's Rick Moran. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, 
Yeah, again, uh, great movie. Um, I, I don't, you know, there's there's always that thing of like, I guess as an adult, like if I were trying to think of a way to, to see it in a different point of view, there is that part where they become entrepreneurs and they, they um, you know, open their own business. Obviously they need, they're losing their jobs and they need money and they buy the firehouse and they start their own business. And, and that's probably something that wouldn't have appealed to me as much as a kid. Uh, as a kid, you know, it's all about uh, the ghosts, you know, and the action and stuff like that. So that might be something that I uh, enjoy on a, on a different level than I did as a kid. But really, I like every part of that movie. Now, and I have to ask you, was Stay Puffed, was that a brand that you knew at the time? Is that a, is that local, like, in your part of the country, Stay Puffed? No. Yeah, it wasn't for me either. I, I, didn't think, I, I thought it was just made up. Eh, maybe maybe it is. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was not like I remember seeing that and I thought, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, like, I felt like I was supposed to recognize it, and then I thought, no, nah, it's not around here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the way they talk about it make you seem think that yeah. too. But no. Did not uh, didn't didn't know the Stay Puffed, <laughs> but uh, yeah, hey man, th- I th- this was fun. Uh, some good picks, I think. Um, I think there's a, as as I went through it, I was like I'm kind of like shuffling. I had to take this one off. Like I had, well, I don't want to yeah, say I don't want to say my honorable mentions are because maybe we'll do this ep- this type of episode again down the road. But uh, yeah, that was uh, it's fun, man. I love uh, watching these old movies. I love the 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 fact that we can still watch. I mean, trust me, there, we probably could do a reverse of this, right? We could probably take pick five movies that we loved as a kid that now are just like, oh, yeah, no, I yeah, can't, that's no, true. Turn it off whenever it's on. No, no way. So, but uh, anyways, that is going to wrap up this episode. And uh, Rob. As always, let the folks know where they can find you. Uh, well, the easiest way to find all of my stuff is to go to robohara.com. It has links to all my uh, social media and my, my books, everything that I'm doing. If you just want to find out what I'm up to on a day-to-day basis, uh, basis, come find me on Twitter at Commodore. All right. And if you want to uh, check out any of my other podcasts that I have going, uh, or links to my Instagram, Twitter, and that kind of stuff. You can go to alldutchpods.com. You'll find it all there. So, all right, Rob, I had fun with this one. Until next month, we'll talk to you later. Until the cocoon returns, <laughs> <laughs> which will be March. <laughs>